Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Today's scripture passage comes from Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 20. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and correct them when you are alone together. If they listen to you, then you've won over your brother or sister. But if they won't listen, take with you one or two others so that every word may be established by the mouth of two or three witnesses. But if they still won't pay attention, report it to the church. If they won't pay attention even to the church, treat them as you would a Gentile and tax collector. I assure you that whatever you fasten on earth will be fastened in heaven, and whatever you loosen on earth will be loosened in heaven. Again, I assure you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, then my Father who is in heaven will do it for you. For where two or three are gathered in my name, I'm there with them. May this scripture add a blessing to your life. Amen. God of grace, mercy, and power. God of all things, God of might. God who brought us this far. God who will bring us through whatever comes next. Meet us here today. Meet us in our bodies, souls, minds, and hearts. Help us to be transformed by you and transformed by one another. May the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts this day and on all days be yours, O oh God, be of you. And if they aren't, if our words should pierce, if our actions should harm, help us to know it, to notice, and to repent, which means to turn around, to turn around and find your second and your 70th and your 77th chance to live in you and with you and in this community. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So it's now the second Sunday in January, but I'm still feeling those January vibes in all of my communities, my friends, my church, my people. And so I know that people are considering um, whether or not you do an official resolution, right? We're reflecting on the year that has been, and we are imagining about the year that will come. Some people do that through setting a New Year's resolution. Some people set a New Year's intention. Some people, one of my, uh, an author I really admire, Saeed Jones, says that his mama always used to call them New Year's determinations. There was no brooking of separation <laughs> from her or his New Year's determinations. Some of us are less formal, right? We don't want to encode it. We don't want to write it down. But it's still this time of imagining. What do I want my life to be? How do I want it to be different than what it has been? What am I craving in my heart and soul? What do I need? 
And uh, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand um, if you've been thinking about some of these things. You also don't have to if you don't want to. But as you've been thinking about things you want to be different in the next year, I'm going to make some predictions based on other people I know, other, other folks I've talked to. Uh, how many of you have some kind of wish or desire in your heart in the future for things to be different for your bodily experience? You want to move around more. You want to eat different, right? You want to be stronger, something. Yeah, OK? How many of you have some kind of resolution or determination about things being different in your social experience? You want to see friends more. You want to get out more. I want to see more movies. I want to do more of my hobbies. Yes. And then how many of you have something, something related to work-life balance, right? I'm going to feel less stressed out. I'm going to rest more. You don't, I know it. I know all of you, OK? You know how I know it's all of you? Because we did a little sermon series survey three months ago where we asked the Urban Village community, what do you want to have sermons about? And the number one, by far, top of the list, dozens of entries was work-life balance, work-life balance. I want to feel less stressed out. I want things to be more OK. And then the second one was, um, how do you live as a Christian at the end of the world? It was like with climate change, with racism, with like this world that we live in, how do I move with hope? These were the two things you were telling us over and over again. Um, and so we wanted to tackle them right out. Because here's the thing. Here's what the world's going to tell you about work-life balance. It's going to tell you that it's your responsibility, right? That you need to shape your days differently. Find the perfect morning routine. Get a little more diligent. Get a little more will in your life, right? And you'll find work-life balance. If only you could find the energy to make more calls to your friends, you would be joyous and fulfilled. You'd be one of those peaceful people in wine commercials, right, who just like lays back, knows how everything is going to be, and feels good about it all. That's a lie. It's just a lie. You can't do it. You can't make yourself feel balance and peace. You can't. Stop trying. It's done. The world is trying very, very hard to steal your peace away from you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. All of the ways in which the powers and the principalities and the systems are set up to steal that peace away from you. But even if they weren't, even if you lived in some time or era that has never existed where the powers and the principalities weren't trying to steal your peace, you still couldn't make it yourself. Because where peace comes from is from the stillness at the center of the universe that is God. Peace is an undercurrent flowing underneath and through all things. And our peace is not determined by our external circumstances. Our peace is not determined by what is happening to us. Our peace comes from God, who is there during all things, in all things, through all things. And peace is not about the external. It's about how we cultivate the center of ourselves, no matter what is happening. Because here's another lie a lot of you are telling yourselves, and I am only comfortable saying it because it's the exact same lie I'm telling myself, which is that I think, I'll feel peace once I live in that house that I'm going to live in for the next 10 years, find that one apartment, right? I'll, I'll feel peace once I get that job that I'll never have to change. I'll feel peace once I set up that social group that will never change. And then it turns out life is change, and life is struggle, and the change and the struggle never stop. <laughs> and so if you're waiting for the change in the struggle to stop, you never get your peace, right? If you're waiting for the powers to stop trying to hurt you, they're never going to, right? So you never get your peace. So peace has to be something we cultivate with God's help, knowing that only God can provide it through whatever else is going on. 
So that's what we're talking about all this month, is four rhythms of life, four practices, sources that we think, basically because thousands of years of people and mystics have told us, this is whatever, the conclusion everybody eventually comes to, that, that these practices can help you cultivate that inner peace and balance through whatever comes for you. And those are rest, prayer, service, and what we're going to talk about today, which is connection, being connected to others, being connected to other human beings in deliberate and intentional and life-giving ways. And that's what this scripture is about. If we can bring back that scripture from the book of Matthew, from the Gospels, um, Matthew 18, this part is probably most famous for the beginning which a lot of people will talk about Matthew 18 conflict resolution, right? How to approach your neighbor or your friend when something has gone wrong. And there are some good tips in here, right? Like start with a person, move outwards. Uh, people who talk about Matthew 18 conflict resolution have also used it to harm frequently. Um, it is a rough row to like research this passage because the first hundred things you run into are like how to do church discipline well and make people fear you and do Matthew 18. And I think, oh, that's not what church is about. <laughs> that's not who God is. No, no, no. Get away from me, Satan. Um, and so, so that, this is the most famous part of this passage, right, is, is how to deal with sin. And something I think is interesting is that um, a lot of the interpreters will say, if they want, so in this first part, if your brother or sister sins against you, a lot of interpreters believe that against you was added later. So initially, this was actually a passage about any kind of sin or harm or sin to the community. Um, go tell them about it. And in many of these early Christian communities, those, those sins that broke up the community were ones of inequality, right? Sins of one part of the church having much more power or much more food than another part of a church. And how do we get ourselves to, to share those resources so that all can be fed and all can be held? Um, but, but the part that is miraculous to me about this it's important to remember the beginning because it's important to remember what being in connection means is that conflict will happen. There's just no, I, whenever I get frustrated, I've been a part of churches for a long time now, and whenever I'm like, the church is so annoying, human beings always being human beings and being different from me and wanting different things and getting into fights, I read the first paragraph of the book of Galatians and I remember that this has been the reality of human connection as long as humans have been around, right? That like being together is feeling annoyed, and then all of the gifts and the love that's on the other side of being annoyed. You just never get the good stuff unless you go through the annoyed first. So that's, it's important, but the best part of the scripture is the end. The most miraculous, the most extraordinary part is the end, and so that's where I want to go. Um, Whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. I, I just can't resist this part, actually, so I'm going to talk about that first. Whatever you bind will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Um, this part of the Gospel of Matthew is sandwiched among a bunch of recommendations for how to live in community between two times that Jesus tells the disciples he's going to die. Jesus tells the disciples that he's going to die and then he gives them a bunch of recommendations for how to live in community, and then he tells them he's going to die again, and neither time do they accept it, right? They're, they're in denial about what life is going to be. But he's trying to prepare them for how to live with him, but with him differently, right? When the Spirit is with us, when Christ is with us, but not in person directly telling us what to do, how are we going to live together? And this part comes right in the middle, and... Uh, 
one uh, scholar calls it the agreement of heaven and earth. That this part of the scripture describes to us what agreement between heaven and earth looks like. Agreement between God's will and our practice. And a lot of people have taken this, um, what you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. What you loose on earth will be loose in heaven. As a command to be really strict about what you say is sin because people are going to have to account for it. I have taken it over time um, to mean a, a call to see ourselves primarily as looseners of bonds, right? That we have this power given to us by God that whatever we loosen, whatever, whatever ties we loosen, whatever prisons we loosen, they become loosened throughout the universe, throughout the world, throughout God's will and God's kingdom. So loosen up, right? Loosen as many things as you can because people feel trapped. And the more you loosen the bonds that they are in, the more one we will become with God and the more one they will become with God. But then the end, I assure you that if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, then my Father who is in heaven will do it for you because wherever two or three are gathered together in my name, I'm there with them. I will be there also. Some of you may have heard this quoted at you a lot. Um, and I think we, we almost begin to, to just, oh, right, wherever two or three are gathered, there's God. Wherever two or three are gathered, there's God. And we, we neglect to see the massive miracle that this is, the huge gift that this is, and how counterintuitive it is. I have often met God alone just like Jesus did, right? Whenever Jesus was annoyed with everybody, when he was moving through that annoyance stage of being in community, he'd walk up a mountain to get everybody to leave him alone. <laughs> um, and he'd walk up a mountain and he'd pray, uh, and he would uh, meet God alone. But over a lifetime, I just don't believe that you can meet God alone. It's what a lot of my friends believe, it's what a lot of my neighborhood believes, it's what a lot of my community believes, that um, because people are so messy and people are so hard, I can be in better relationship with God if I listen to sermon podcasts, go to the right yoga class, and cultivate my inner understanding of who God is, right? But God is, is pretty clear, actually. You've missed a big part of me if you've missed the part of me that works through other people. You've missed almost the whole of me if you've missed the part of me that is the rest of creation. There is something only about community, only about human connection that teaches us about who God is. The parts that support us and lift us up, right? The parts of community and connection that are, I am destroyed, I just had the worst breakup in the world, I call somebody at 4 a.m. and they're there. And the parts that challenge, I do something messed up, I do something that is of harm, and somebody says to me, that was of harm. You could not do that anymore. You could change, you could transform. All of the parts of human connection, the two or three gathering together, without it, iron never sharpens iron, heart never meets heart, and we never meet God the way that we could. It doesn't happen without community. The other thing about this is a gift. It doesn't say wherever there is a church building with beautiful bricks and a worship that goes exactly in this order, there I am, right? <laughs> wherever you do the appropriate liturgy, there I am also. It says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, that means when you are around the dinner table with your friends, there is God, and you can gather in God's name. With your family and your home, right? Your parents, your kids, your aunts, or your uncles, or whoever, your roommates, whoever has become family to you, that can become a worship. That is church. 
when you gather in God's name and begin to connect and be community in the way that God has invited us to. Anywhere is church. Anywhere is worship. Once it becomes a place where two or three are gathered, where you're doing the hard work of community in the name of God who has made it possible to do it. Thank God. So what makes that so hard? If, if it's so critical to being a human being, if it's such a fundamental part of being a Christian, of knowing God, of knowing peace, of knowing balance, why are none of us doing it? <laughs> um, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, I have been reading up on this. The biggest ones, I think, are economic, right? So um, the one thing that people across class have in common right now is that we're all working way, way, way too much. If we have a low-wage job, we're working two or three jobs, and nobody gives us our schedule until three days before we have to live out that schedule, and so we can't make any plans with the people that we love. If we have a high-wage job, we are on the never-ending cycle of the constant workplace that lives inside of our phones and our computers, and we never stop working, and so we can't schedule love and connection with others. No matter where you are on the spectrum, it turns out, our current culture, our current moment, this moment in capitalism, is built to disconnect you from everyone you know because you're a better producer if you never rest in being a human being. And so if you hear nothing else today, know that you are a human being and not a human doing. And it's not what you do that's gonna save you, and it's not what you do that's gonna give you peace, and it's not what you do that's gonna give you love or balance or connection to God. And yet the only message we hear is that it will. And so we are being disconnected from our communities by economic forces that keep us working all of the time and keep us exhausted, right? Um, I hear a lot of blame, like, oh, millennials and Generation Z ordering everything to their homes instead of stores, ordering out food instead of going and cooking with people. They're, they hate humanity. Um, and my, <laughs> I would have us look at why do so many of us feel so desperate for five minutes peace that we can't even imagine leaving the house to go to a store or go to a restaurant? It's because of these larger forces of disconnection that are taking place, right? And so to resist those forces of disconnection and connect is what it has been for the people of God from moment one and is what it has been for Christians since day one, which is that connection is not only good for you, it's not only good for your soul, good for your heart, good for your spiritual growth. Connection will give you that sense of peace that you want. When you connect with other human beings, when you really let them see you, and when you really let yourself see them, when you really open up, it's not just good for you, it is resistance to the powers of the world and what they say you are and who they say you can be. It is resistance that says, I am a child of God, and I am in community with children of God, and I say no <laughs> to, to your lie that all I am is what I produce, right? I am connected. I am connected to other human beings, and when we connect together, we make the world transform. It's also literally the basis of changing some of those dynamics, right? How does one organize unless one is connected? to other people and their needs and truly listening to what they have to say and who God has made them to be. And so I, I want to consider the ways in which this new way that we are doing church is making us more connected, right? Because I know it's going to be a struggle. You're going to go through the annoying phase <laughs> with this new way that we're doing church. It is natural. It is expected. Um, also, the old way was annoying, and it's always easy to forget that, right? All the ways are annoying. <laughs> um, 
And as you move through, I want to name something um, that I think is a gift about this new way of being connected, which is that each one of our sites has enormous spiritual gifts that are distinct from the gifts of the other sites. And this new way of being is going to allow you to share them a little bit. Because here's what I want to thank Hyde Park Woodlawn for. Here are some of the gifts I think you have, spiritual gifts that you have cultivated with time and energy and also that the Holy Spirit has just given you. One is the relentless centering of people of color in worship and community, right? That this is a non-negotiable of what it means to follow God and be who God is. And that that centering has already begun to change the urban village system in the ways that it was birthed here, right? This place has changed how we do church across, across the whole church. What a gift. Like, thank you for that gift. Thank Pastor Emily for that gift. And a second one that I want you to be particularly aware of today as we talk about connection is that I think community is a particular charism, a particular spiritual gift of this church. You are connected in deep and profound ways. You share a meal together every Sunday. In part because of what Woodlawn and Hyde Park are like, they are more neighborhoody neighborhoods, right? People leave less, they stay more. You are one of the most connected churches that there is in this city, and what a gift. This thing that you experience, this need for humans to see you and for you to see them and in it to meet God, you have it. You have it. Now here's my question. In a world where these systems mean that um, over half of all Americans describe themselves as lonely and disconnected, and the numbers get higher the younger you go, the, the younger the age, the more loneliness people report. In a world where Americans report having half as many close friends as they did 50 years ago, half as many close ties, this connection that you have here that is real and thick and deep and profound, what are the ways that you're going to share it with a lonely world that doesn't know how to do it, that is actually really, really bad at doing it? And so is missing out on all, on all of the gifts of being connected and then all of the gifts besides of the ways God might meet them in human connection. What are the ways that Hyde Park Woodlawn will teach other parts of the church, other parts of the neighborhood, other parts of the city, the value of the connection that you have made here? This is what I'm excited for in the year and years to come and that you will simply continue to live in resistance in the way you have lived that our humanity matters more, that our love matters more, that the small groups you have, right? You are starting, there are so many small groups that are already going on for four years, 10 years, life groups of people who have shared life for years together. We're starting two more. Lucille Sider is gonna be doing a group um, on her book. You can get one afterwards on depression and sexual abuse and recovery, right? Like how are you gonna enter into those tender parts of your soul with a community where it's safe to do so? There's a black women's group led by Sherelle, right? How are you going to enter into the ways in which an identity under attack by joining with others who share it, your soul might flourish and flower and you might know value and love? Lean into community. Lean into connection. It's one of the only things that's ever saved us. <laughs> and it's the place where God will meet you because wherever two or three are gathered together, there he is also in all of his power 
and all of his might and all of his love and all of his glory, God will meet you when you gather because God already has, and this church is proof of it. So I'm thankful for you, and I hope you'll share that gift with everybody else. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.